seated this morning. Listen, we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to shift things around a, a bit today, and we're going to pray at the end of the sermon. You ready for that? We're changing things up this morning. Listen, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer this morning, however, as we move into uh, our sermon this morning. But uh, pray with me um, as, we, uh, as we prepare to, to hear God's word and what he has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of singing because it's hard for us sometimes, Lord, to express how much we do love you and believe in you. But Lord, as we come together on this Sunday morning, we, we do love you. And in a world that, Lord, does not love you collectively, we come together and we just want to tell you how much we do love you. We love you for the things you've done in our lives. We love you, of course, for what you're doing today. We love you, Lord, for the things you're going to do in our lives in the future. But Lord, apart from those things, we thank you because, Lord, our love for you is expressed in your love towards us first and foremost. For Lord, you have poured your love into our hearts, both for you and for each other. So, Father, thank you this morning just for the, the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you did on the cross and from the grave. And how you, Holy Spirit, live here. You work in and among us this morning, God. And we thank you that you dwell in our hearts. As we come to your word this morning, we just pray that you'd open our hearts to understand it that you would give us eyes to see, you would give us ears to hear, you would, Lord, just give us a heart that would be open to the things that you want to say to us this morning, that, God, we would say yes to you in the areas, God, that you're calling us to act, the ways that you're calling us to act. And, Lord, we give this time to you and your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 8. Our family goes through tires like young boys go through shoes. I can speak with experience on both of those accounts. Those of you who know, know I have four sons, and I can't even keep track of how many shoes we've bought over the years, and it tends to be the front of the shoes always go out first. But our family goes through tires like a boy goes through shoes. There was a stretch, and I'm not joking, a few years ago where we went through 10 tires in two years. Now, that'll hurt your bank account, if you know what I mean. 10 tires in two years. There were a couple reasons for that. One is where we were living at, the roads were just bad. We were always getting bolts in the side of our, of our radials, which that means you can't plug it, right? Those of you who know cars. Had to buy a new tire. Uh... But primarily, what I began to realize as well was that our vehicles, in particular our van, was wearing on the right side or the left side. And so the radial itself was fine, but the side walls were wearing too quickly, which was an indicator that the car was out of alignment. You know what I mean? And so once I realized that, I began to, and we began to get our vehicles aligned more often than not, which cut down on the amount of tires that we were having to buy. Now listen, when I tell you that story, I think it's important for us to understand that just as a vehicle needs to be corrected and just as a vehicle needs to be realigned, I think in life we need spiritual realignment. It's true. Uh, I love the group of men that are meeting on Wednesday nights in a discipleship class. We're going through a book, not a book of the Bible, but a book on biblical manhood. And we're wrestling and talking about, with, about issues and wrestling with issues related to biblical manhood. And this past Wednesday night, we had some 28, 30 men in a room, and we talked about this issue of understanding our identity, which then drives your assignments in life. 
Like when you understand as men, as biblical men, understand that your identity is not found in your workplace, it's not found in other things, it's found in your identity that you have in Jesus Christ, then that influences, that dictates, that moves the rest of your assignments in life, whether it's your family or your job or you name it, all kinds of assignments. But it's all about understanding and really realigning our lives as men in that particular setting around this issue of understanding that that, that our identity is found in Jesus, which then leads to everything else in life. We need a regular recommitment of our lives to the Lord to experience spiritual victory in our lives. We need that spiritual realignment in our lives in order to experience personal and in our family and in our church that, that spiritual victory that we need. Aren't you glad that God is a God of grace? Aren't you glad he's a God of mercy? If you were here a week ago, you and Saul, when we looked at Joshua chapter 7, and what is Joshua chapter 7? God's people fail miserably. They fall flat on their face. But aren't you glad that God wasn't done with them? He didn't tell them to tuck tail, go back across the Jordan River, go back to Egypt where you belong. No, God continues to move among them, and we're going to see here in chapter 8. And as they continued moving forward, God helped them to be realigned. He got the nation back on track. Let me tell you the story very quickly. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but I'm going to just walk through this chapter with this because the most important part of the chapter is not really the story of Ai and the city of Ai and the fall of Ai. Really, the most important part of the whole chapter is comes at the end, and that's the reason why God, the Holy Spirit, put it there for us so that we would understand that on our side of Jesus But on their side of Jesus, which he had not come yet and walked on this earth as he did uh, 2,000 years ago, and we had the benefit of his work, this is what was happening. God was still moving. God was moving among his people. And it tells us there in chapter 8 that the Lord puts his people, the nation itself, back on track. He needed a leader to lead them. He needed the people and the nation to deal with the individual sin that was among them, which was the sin of Achan, as we saw a week ago. The people, however, respond with obedient faith, and they keep moving forward. And that's key. And God just continues to move among them once again. And once again, they listen to the Lord. Because in chapter 7 and chapter 6, they're listening to the Lord. They go into into Jericho, but, but as The nation itself is listening to the Lord. There is one who has not listened to the Lord. And as a nation, they all feel the brunt of that, the consequences of sin. But God is a God of grace. And the people of God here in chapter 8 are going to reconnect with God. They're going to listen to the Lord and things are going to go well for them in their life. So look with me at chapter 8 beginning in verse 1 and 2. I will read a few of these verses to help us understand the story this morning. Look at verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Now you got to understand what's happening here. You see, in the first attempt to take AI, who made the decision? Who came up with the plan? The spies did. In fact, the spies that go over, if you go back to chapter 7, the spies go over to Ai, they go spy it out, they come back and they come to to Joshua, and it says in verse 3 of chapter 7, and they returned to Joshua and said to them, do not have all the people go up, but but let about two or 3,000 men go up to, to attack Ai. Don't make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Oh, they're little compared to, to Jericho. Now, and so what did Joshua do? He listened to them. And, and the people of God, they just came back and they say, oh, this little city, we don't need the entire force of the army. They don't pursue God. They don't seek God's plan in the first encounter. And they fail miserably. But in the second encounter here in chapter 8, God sends them back to Ai. But who is the one in the driver's seat? It is the Lord himself. Just as he was with Jericho, so he is now again with Ai. And God's going to do a great work among them. So God gives these instructions to Joshua and I want you to notice the key at the end of chapter, or verse 2 rather. The key at the end of verse 2 is this. Whereas in Jericho, the spoils went to the Lord because he got the first fruits. 
in AI, they get the spoils. Isn't that awesome? God says, hey, listen, now you've given me what belongs to me. Now you can have all of it, right? And this is what the Lord does in verse 2. He says, only its spoil, its livestock shall be, take as plunder for yourselves. Not for me, but for you. And then he gives them the plan, right? Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So here's the plan. Beginning in verse 3, I'm just going to summarize it for you. But beginning in verse 3, this was the plan. What Joshua did is he took a portion of his soldiers, 30,000. He positioned some of them behind the city of Ai, and then he and others began to come towards Ai. And as they came towards Ai, guess what began to happen? The gates of the city of, of Ai opened up, and as the army came out, and as the men come out, and as they begin to engage in the, in the battle, guess what happens? The city is empty. The city is empty of soldiers. The women and children are there, the livestock's there, the gold, silver, and all the plunder's there, but the city is now empty with the gates wide open, and there comes the ambush. Coming behind them, they go into the city of Ai, they burn the city of Ai. Now stay with me, I'm summarizing the story for you. Now the smoke begins to billow from the city, and as the smoke is billowing from the city, the king of Ai, who has got his sights set on Israel, or so he thinks, turns around and sees behind him the smoke billowing from his own city. And they turn around and they start to go back. And some of the soldiers are going in every direction. And it is a great victory on that day as the God's people, as the Lord's people, take the city of Ai. And that's the battle. So God, in the midst of, of this story, in verse 18, you can look there. He says, the Lord says to Joshua, stretch out your javelin. Uh, and th that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out his javelin hand toward the city, and the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as, in verse 19, as soon as he stretched out his hand, they ran and they entered the city, they captured it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. On that day, God gets the victory, the people of God win. Why? Because you see, you've got to understand, the king of Ai has grown confident. He's grown overconfident. This isn't round one, this is round two. And in round one, the little city of Ai fought off the big, mean, bad Israelites as they were coming against their city, and they defeated them. And in the minds of the people of Ai and the soldiers of Ai, they see the backs of the Israelites running away from Ai in retreat. And so they've grown overconfident. And their confidence, remember, just as the confidence of Jericho was in the city walls and the structure and the fortifications of that particular city, the confidence of Ai and the soldiers of Ai is not in their city, but it's in themselves. It's in them, their, their ability to fight off Israel. But it fails miserably. And so the city of Ai is taken. And what is interesting at the end of this is that as the city is taken, as the king is executed, we get to verse 30. We get to verse 30 in the chapter. And instead, with all these, this momentum, with all of this excitement, they've just taken the city of Ai. They have gold, they have silver, they have cattle, they have, they have all of this loot, if you will. You would think they would keep going, but they don't. They stop. They pause. And they pause to confess they pause to celebrate. They call pause to renew their commitment to the Lord and his word. And so look with me in verse 30. I'm going to read it for us through verse 35. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord. When you think of altar, what do you think of? Worship, right? So at the time, Joshua builds an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all of Israel's sojourner as well as native-born with their elders and officers and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them on the front, in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at this at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, 
according to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. It was a time of covenant renewal. It was a time when they renewed themselves and their commitment to the Lord and their commitment to each other. They stopped advancing and they worshiped the Lord. They stopped advancing and doing the things that they thought was, was, was made sense and they began to spend time with the Lord. It had been a rocky start. I mean, they had taken Jericho, they failed at Ai, now they've taken Ai. It's a rocky start, it's up and it's down. But I want you to notice what God does. I mean, why, what the people do. They had violated the law of God. And I want you to notice the, the location of what's happening here in verses 30 through 35. Because they're at Ai, but they go to this particular place called Shechem. They go to this place where they journey to it in order to worship, to Mount Ebal, to Shechem. Why go there? This is no ordinary place. It's some 20 miles away, by the way, of where about where they are. They walk 20 miles to this place. Why go to the place? The place is key. You've got to understand what's happened here at Shechem, at Mount Ebal, at the, this particular loca- uh, location. It was in Deuteronomy chapter 27 that Moses, who comes to the end of his reign or his ministry that God has for him, that Moses comes and he builds an altar to the Lord at Shechem. It says back in Deuteronomy 27, now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on this day, you cross over the Jordan to the land that is <clears throat> the Lord your God is giving you. You shall set up large stones, plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter into the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you cross over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and on and on he goes. He says, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God. It was Moses who said this in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now, fast forward, now they're in the promised land, and they're doing just that. But this is not just where Moses was. If you go all the way back to Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12, what is famous about Genesis chapter 12? It's where God gives Abram this promise Oh, it says in Deuteronomy, it says in, in Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from this country of your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make for you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, and I will curse, and in you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, Abram went as the Lord had, te- had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 25 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took his, he took uh, Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. They made their way to the land of Canaan. In verse 6, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. It was in this spot that Abram builds that Abram receives and is then there um, when it comes to God and has this moment with God there in Shechem. We see Moses, but then we of course see in Genesis chapter 33 the story of Jacob, and it's Jacob there that when he meets his brother Esau, at the end of that story he builds an altar to the Lord where? At Shechem, Mount Ebal, the same place that the people of God are here in this story. It is significant. In other words, there is something significant, spiritually significant, going on right here, right now, at the end of this chapter in chapter 8, among God's people. There is a time in which they need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. They need to be reminded of who it was that they worshipped, who it was that was with them, who it was that was carrying them, who was going before them, who had come behind them, who was working in their midst. They needed to be reminded of that. Spiritual leadership, I'm sorry, spiritual victory required the right leadership. It required in this space, in this moment, divine help, and it required righteous people. It needed the right leader, it needed divine help, and they needed righteous 
people. And I want you to show, I want to show you just very quickly through these few verses at the end of this chapter, some bold moves that the people of God make. Do you notice first and foremost in verse 30, what do they do? They build an altar. They build an altar, which you answered a moment ago. What does that think? What do you think of? You think of worship, right? It's there in verse 30 and on into verse 31 that as they build this altar, they do several things. It says that they burnt sacrifices, or I'm sorry, offerings. When they burnt offerings to the Lord, what they did is they were pledging their complete devotion to the Lord in that space, in that moment. They didn't just burn offerings, they, they, had a, they sacrificed a fellowship or a, uh, a fellowship offering, which was a moment of thanksgiving. God, we thank you, we are completely devoted to you. They built an altar. And then what did they do? We just read it a moment ago. They wrote the words of the entire law on the stones. Did you see that? They take the word of God, the Torah, what God gave God's people, and they write them on stones right there. It is a picture of what God wanted them to do and what, as we just read it a moment ago in Deuteronomy 27, Moses tells them to do. Think back at that passage which we just read. He told them in Deuteronomy 27 too, on the day you cross over the Jordan, you shall set up large stones and you shall plaster them with plaster and you shall write on them all the words of the law. It tells us in that same chapter, verse 12 and 13, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon and Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph and Benjamin, and on these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben and Gad and Asher and Zebulon and Dan and Naphtali. And this is what God was doing. So they, they build an altar, they, they, they write the words of the entire law on stones, and then notice at the end, verse 34, 35, what did they do? Joshua stands up. What does he do? They read the word of the law. They read the word of God to the, to the people, don't they? And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the cursing, according to all that was written on the book of the law. Now, now this is key, verse 35. There was not one word of all that Moses commanded. Joshua did not read before all the, what, assembly of Israel. They were all there. Not a part of them, not 95% of them, not 99.9% of them. They were all there because they were one people. They were one nation. They were all people of God, and they were all assembled together. And on that day, they renewed their covenant commitment to the Lord and to his word. Now listen, <clears throat> why does the Lord put this here for us? Is this just history? Or what does God say to us as New Testament Christians well, I'll tell you what I think it says and what I believe that the Lord is saying here. That every believer needs regular covenant renewal alongside other believers. You know that's what we're doing this morning, right? We're alongside other believers in Jesus Christ in this room, and we need regular covenant renewal with each other. Every Sunday that we come together, every time that we gather together as the church, we pause to renew our personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we can have a healthy relationship with him and experience spiritual victory. I want you to notice something about Joshua. I want you to notice something about what he is doing and what is happening here at the end of the story. There are these three bold moves are in the context of a what? An assembly. They're in the context of the gathering of God's people together. They're in verse 35. Now, when you look at this Hebrew word, assembly, this is literally what it means. It means a gathering or a congregated group of people for the purpose of worship, sacrifices, and offerings. Now that's the concept, the idea that verse 35 is showing us. That's the Old Testament idea, if you will, of what God is doing, making his people distinct, Israel set apart. And by that being carried into the New Testament, we have this word church, right? We have this word church, or we have this word assembly. The, the word church in the, old, in the New Testament is ecclesia, ecclesiology, or ecclesia. ecclesia. It's, a, it's a word that means assembly. It's a word that means gathering, meaning that the church, our church, is not the, these walls and these buildings, and we know that. I mean, I walk around here throughout the week, and I walk through building after building, and they're empty, 
I can walk in here on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock or a Wednesday afternoon at 1.35 in the afternoon. I can walk through the children and it's pin drop. The church is not these facilities. The church is not this building. We know this in our hearts. The church is when God's people gather together and they assemble together and then we come and we renew our commitment to the Lord. We can renew our commitment to each other and then we scatter, right? That's what the church is. And so when we think about this idea of assembly, this is what God calls us to. It is God's assembly because God dwells within the church. He dwells with us. He's here with us. He lives in our hearts as Christians, as individual Christians. But there is something supernatural, there is something significant that God wants to do in our lives when we gather together. And what the church is, God's assembly, God's people, when we come together, it is full of people that are, listen, feeling the reversal effects of the fall. You see, when the fall of man came and you and I sinned, we are broken. God, Satan himself begins to continue to take ground in your life. He takes ground in your personal life. He takes ground in your marriage. He takes ground in your family. He takes ground in your mindset. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ and when you begin to turn away from your sin, turn away from you trying to do things your way, and then you come back to Jesus Christ, guess what the Lord begins to do? He begins to take that ground back. And it's the reversal effects of the fall. We get a taste of what heaven will look like. I mean, look around the room. We're all different. We're all different backgrounds, cultures. Some of us speak different languages in this room. We get a small taste of what heaven will look like. And that is the beauty of the local church. When we gather together, the assembly of God's people, then we, there is something supernatural that is taking place. God is moving among us. This isn't just a social club that we come and hear a sermon and get to sing some great songs. I mean, there's something spiritually significant God's doing and wants to do among us. He does this work among us. And we feel the reversal effects of the fall. We see our lives being transformed. We see and we hear our lives taking that ground. We see that spiritual fruit that is born in our lives. We struggle with the flesh and we see ourselves falling to the flesh and then we come back and we begin to see our lives growing personal relationship through Jesus Christ, right? That's what's happening when God's people come together and we worship. There is something about the assembly of God's people, week in and week out, that has a deep spiritual significance and importance in your life. Therefore, it ought not be an add-on to your week. It ought to be the thing that you build your life around. It ought to be the thing that, that you, you move anything and everything in order to, to be in a place of worship with the Lord and you hear from his word and then you're, you're encouraged and you're built up and you're held accountable by other believers in Jesus Christ who are around you. You need it. I need it. I need you. You need me. We need each other. This is the purpose of the local church and the assembly of God's people. It is the heart of the Christian life. Therefore, nothing should take precedence over it. I've got to fight for it. I've got to fight for that time. I've got to fight for that moment and that time and season of worship in my life. Every believer needs that regular renewal, that relationship with the Lord, with other believers, where we build those healthy relationships with each other through Christ. Now, that's kind of a flyover. But I want to talk about just some practical reasons why corporate worship is so important in your life. And maybe you've never thought about these, never, maybe you've never considered them. But I just want to remind us from the Bible what I believe deeply in my heart as to why corporate worship is so important in your life, why it's so important in my life. Well, I think first and foremost, it's a weekly reminder of who's in charge of your life. Am I right? It's a weekly reminder that you do not own anything you own. Your heart beats because God is allowing it to beat the air you breathe is the air that God has provided for you. The years that God has given you on earth is, is because God has blessed you with another year, another day. You wake up in the morning and you breathe and you open your eyes and it's another day that God has given you to live for him today. And when we come together like this, it is a reminder of who it is that is in charge of all things. So the people of God, what did they do? They hit the pause button. I mean, they're advancing. They've taken AI. Let's go to the next place. No, let's stop. 
Let's go and let's recommit ourselves to the Lord. Not 99% of us, not a couple of us hang back, take care of the animals. We're all going to recommit ourselves to the Lord. They hit the pause button. Why? Because momentarily, listen, they would forget who God was. And momentarily, listen, church, we forget who God is. We forget the position and the place that he sits in our life. I mean, think about it. What does the world tell you? The culture around us tell you? What does your flesh, your own heart tell you? Everything around you is telling us that you're in charge. It's your house. It's your stuff. It's your business. It's your family. It's your life. Everything tells you that. Your own heart tells you that. The world and the culture tells you that. And it all feels just right. But the fact of the matter is, we know better. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we understand and we get that. The Lord is the one who's given us everything is stewardship. Life is stewardship. Financially and serving, investing in all of these things. We need a reminder that not only is he in charge, but he is faithful. He's faithful. We need that moment where we come together in that specific place. We gather with God's people and be reminded that he is the one who sits on on the throne of my life the throne of my church, the throne of my family, and he is faithful. That even when I fail and I get off track, we have a God who is not done with us, but when I come back to him, just says, keep moving forward. Just commit yourselves to me and commit yourself to each other and keep moving forward. We need that reminder. And it's a weekly reminder that we understand that God is in charge. Say what else is a weekly reminder of is I think these are weekly reminders for me personally. Not only is he the one on the seat of my, my life, but it's a weekly reminder that, that, of why God redeemed you. When we come together, this is, we are reminded that God did not redeem me to sit in a comfortable seat, did he? God redeemed me, he changed me, he transformed my life to be right with him, and then what he does is he, 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 does, he, he doesn't just save me from stuff, he calls me to something else. He gives me a mission. And it's a weekly reminder that God has, has taken the ground back in my life that Satan took by way of my desires and giving myself over to all of the temptations for what? To sit and listen to a sermon? To sing wonderful songs? No. But to engage in the mission that he's called us to, right? We understand this. He made you. He remade you. And he makes you for a purpose. To go and to make disciples of all nations. And God uses you. And that's the amazing and beautiful thing about the local church. He takes you. He takes you who's a brand new believer. He takes you that's been a believer for 70 plus years. And he uses you in the life of someone else. To encourage someone. To point them to Jesus. To point them to the truth of the word of God. Because you know we all get off track. And we need someone to bring us back and to show us a better way. He uses every one of us, and so when we come together, we just, it's this kind of this, this pep rally, if you will. It's this kind of reminder. It's this kind of recalibration of our thinking, like this is what God has made me for. God's not made me for to, 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 to try to make as much money as I can make in my life and have a comfortable life. Those things are great if God gives them to you, and he blesses hard work, but God has made me as a follower of Jesus Christ to invest in the lives of other people, to pour into the lives of other people, that their lives might be changed, that God might transform the lives of others and rescue them out of hell and put them into heaven and then serve here on earth until God takes them home. It is a weekly reminder that why we have been redeemed. I'll tell you what else it is. It's a weekly pledge of our obedience to the word of God. Isn't that what they did? Why would God, why would God tell Moses and then Moses tell the people and Joshua follow through on the commitment here in this space, in this place, to get a group of people to face Mount Ebal, to face Mount Gerizim, and then to declare the word of God and write him on tablets. Why? Because the word of God was to be central to their lives. It was to be central to their lives. We've gotten a lot of opinions a lot of opinions in this room. 
We've gotten a lot of opinions on how to do marriage, a lot of opinions about God and about Jesus, a lot of opinions about prayer and the impacts and the the implications of prayer. We have a, a lot of opinions about how to do life. A lot of opinions about the church, what the church is supposed to look like, what it's not supposed to look like, what it's supposed to do, what about membership, what about not membership, what about all of these kinds of things. We have all kinds of opinions, but the Bible brings us back and anchors us to God's will, to the truth. And so it's a weekly reminder that every time we come together, we want to obey the Lord. You see, obeying the Lord here in the stories that we're walking through Sunday after Sunday was more important than the physical victories that they were achieving. It didn't matter whether they had gold or silver. By the way, the Israelites, some of them had more gold than silver. Guess what? I made it to the house that had more money than that other person, and I was able to get this much more than you. They all had different levels. It didn't matter what the physical victories brought them. What mattered was the spiritual victory of committing themselves to being obedient to the Lord in their life. The Lord's priority in our life is not to be a conquering army, just as it was for them, but to be an obedient people. And so God put the blessings and he put the cursings in front of them for a reason, at the center of their worship, which is why in our worship services Sunday after Sunday, we want to make the word of God central. We want to saturate our services with the word of God. Because you get, a lot of, you get enough self-help out there in the world. You leave here today, you'll turn the news on, you'll turn this on, you'll hear pundits talk about politics, you'll hear this, you'll hear that, you'll talk to friends, you'll talk to people, you'll formulate your own conclusions about all kinds of things. There's enough self-help, there's enough people out there and voices in your head that will influence you through your AirPods, students, through your newspapers, through your Fox Newses, There's enough of voices out there. You need the word of God to continue to bring you back to what is true and what is right. Day in and day out. It's a weekly pledge of our obedience to the word of God. Say what finally is this, that it's a weekly commitment to righteousness. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, this is what God's people are doing right here. They're committing themselves to not living one way, but to living a better way. You see, every day we look back upon our lives and we look ahead of our lives and we have to make a decision about how we're going to live our lives today. Who are you going to trust today? What are you going to follow today? How am I going to run my business today? How am I going to run my family today? How am I going to respond to something that happened to me that deeply hurt me? Something that I don't understand. Words that I'm going to say, I have decisions decisions to make. I've got to deal with that employee. I've got to deal with that challenge at work, that challenge that sits before me. We talked about voices a moment ago. We spend enough time in the world. And by the way, all those voices shape your minds. They shape my mind. They shape my thoughts. They shape your thoughts. They shape your worldview. They shape my worldview. They shape your attitudes, conclusions, and those conclusions that you draw in your mind and your heart lead to sometimes the wrong decisions. Think about commercials for a moment. What is today? Super Bowl Sunday. When you're watching the Super Bowl, which many of you will tonight, some of you are saying, no, I'm not watching that. That's okay. We'll watch it in our house. When you watch those commercials and some of those commercials, I want you to think in terms of this. Every 30-second commercial tonight, you know how much it costs? $7 million. Every 30-second commercial tonight will be $7 million. What would put a company in a position to budget for a 30-second commercial for one event? Because the Super Bowl will draw more than 100 million viewers. That's a lot of people. And a 30-second commercial can have a lot of influence. The fact of the matter is, when you and I come together, and we come together and we sit underneath the Word of God in our lives, is we understand we have a history, just as the Israelites had a history, 
we also have truth that sits in front of us, and we need to commit ourselves to being righteous. I mean, the Israelites looked long into their history, and if you look long into their history, into the future, rather, you will see a people that once chapter 8 leads to chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, once we get past Joshua, it does not take very long for generation 2 to flip to generation 3, and what will happen in generation 3? They will start to follow the gods, the false gods of the people around them. The more that they, the deeper that they got into the promised land, the more comfortable that they became, the less they listened to the Lord. The more religious they became, but the less devoted to the Lord they became. But the Lord knew this. He knew this here, and he knows that in our hearts as well. And therefore, they needed the blessings and the curses read to them right here, right now. And we need to understand and know the truth of what the Word of God says. The Lord knows what we need. You and I need that weekly commitment to right living. You and I need that weekly commitment to right thinking and speaking and loving. Why? Because Satan knows who you are. And he will quickly lead you to being self-reliant, really, really busy with the things that have no kingdom impact. He wants to make you that way. He wants to make you super religious and busy. But he wants to get you distracted. So you're not devoted to what the Lord wants in your life. But instead, you've grown extremely religious, but God looks at you and he sees you spiritually drifting. That's why we need each other. We need a reminder of what the word of God says. We need a reminder of what God wants to do in our life. Every believer, we need that regular covenant renewal with him and with other believers. And so listen, what I would say to us this morning is this. Let's look around with each other. Think in terms of this. Commit yourself first and foremost to the Lord and to corporate worship. But then look around. Who's not here? If they can't physically be here, then you go to them and you encourage them. You go visit them. You call them. You send them cards. You send them letters. Many of them are watching online right now. But there are many who are physically can be here and have allowed church, allowed corporate worship, allowed the local church in their life to be an add-on, something that they add on to their life when they have time but they don't see the importance of it. They don't see the value in it. They don't see the critical nature of it. And we need the Lord and we need each other. And so what I would encourage you to do is go encourage them, pray for them, call them, go visit them, go see them, send them cards. Don't be the church police in their life, but go love on them and encourage them to come back to worship. Encourage them and help them understand the reasons why they need to be here, the reasons why God wants them to be here, why they need him and they need each other. We, they, we all need each other. You see, we live under the nature of the curse, but we also live under grace. In other words, we are struggling with sin in our life. We struggle with all kinds of things that come and take ground in our life, but we also worship a God who is a God of grace. And so we walk you know, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're called to live by the Spirit. And so remember that as you're reaching out to people, as you're praying for people, as you're encouraging people. We live and experience the life-changing power in order to please God himself and worship him. And so let's live with that kind of victory in our lives. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? We're going to do something very different this morning. A little different than we have before. Our worship team's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song in a moment, but we're going to have a time of prayer. And listen, listen, we're going to just pray this morning corporately. If you want to come to the front, you can just make your way forward now. And I've got a few things that I want us to pray for this morning as we spend time praying as a congregation. I think it's important for us this morning to remember that, you know, as we pray We begin by thanking him. So 
If you want to stay seated, you can. If you want to come forward and it's uncomfortable for you to kneel at the front, you can just sit here on the front row or you want to come forward, you, you just come. And so I just want us to spend a few moments this morning thanking the Lord for who he is. Let's talk to the Lord about the things he wants us to talk to him about. And Jesus told us and taught us that the way we pray is that we thank him, we adore him, we worship him. So I just want you to spend a few moments praying for those things. You go ahead and pray as individuals or as couples, as families. Pray for those matters. Worship him. Have an honest conversation with the Lord. Praise him for who he is. I want you to pray this morning that the Lord would make us into a place of complete dependence and obedience here at Central. Like just pour your heart out to God. Ask him to make us into a place of complete obedience and dependence upon him. Listen to these verses as you're praying. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Later in that chapter, he says these words. We ought to pray these words on behalf of our own hearts and also the people around us. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, I want to ask you to pray for some specific things. We're in the midst of a long search for staff needs. This past weekend, our students saw God move among them. On a little weekend, that's why they're wearing different colored shirts. They need a leader. Been down the road with several men. It's not been God's will. Will you pray this morning for a leader for our student ministry? other needs in our church? We pray for our worship ministry. They need a leader. We're searching for that man right now. And I'm asking you to carry that burden along with me. Our staff needs. Will you ask him for men after God's own heart? Men who are humble.
And then would you just pray to the Lord that he would realign our church, that he would realign your family, that he would realign your life. Father, the beauty of prayer is that you hear our voices all at the same time, and yet somehow you can decipher what we say. And we cannot understand that, but we know that you listen to us, and you hear our voices. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the ways in which um, you promise us so many things from your word, and one of those promises is that you say that you listen to us, you hear us, you speak into our life through your word, and you guide us. I mean, everything we hear about when it comes to prayer is that, Lord, we can pray, and you will bring about the things that we pray for when our hearts are aligned with you. And so we pray your will into reality. And that's how prayer works. And so we pray to you these things. We give this, these requests to you. We give these names to you. We give these needs to you. But we praise you for who you are. We commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness in our lives, your grace your forgiveness, your mercy. You are a good God. And it is good to be together with you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. As you return to your seats, let me just ask you, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and we're gonna have a time of response. I'll be here at the front. If you wanna give your life to Jesus Christ, talk to him about that, you come. If you want to join our church, you come and we'll start the process of joining Central. God just wants you to come and you just need prayer for a matter, I'll be here at the front. You want to be baptized? These are all decisions that the Bible teaches us and leads us to. So you have the courage to come this morning.